Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. All right, today uh, we're in Luke chapter 4. If you guys would turn there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 31 to 44. And uh, we're kind of in between series right now. If you're just visiting today, uh, we just finished a very long study through the book of Galatians, verse by verse. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to get started with or restart our summer Psalms series. It's going to take us probably 15 years or so to get through all 150 Psalms. So we're just taking it in bite-sized chunks. So we'll pick up in Psalm 11 in a couple of weeks. Uh, But what I wanted to do was take four weeks to look at a portion of Luke's gospel where Luke describes Jesus being launched out into his ministry. And I think the purpose for this for me is so that we could reconsider who is Jesus, what is his mission, what does he want us to be about, and and how can we glean that from what he was about. I, I want us to continue to have our focus as a church on the things that Jesus was for and that Jesus was about. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jesus coming out of the wilderness, temptation, victorious. He's the perfect man. He did not succumb to any temptation whatsoever. Where Adam, uh, you know, fell and sinned in the beauty of the Garden of Eden, Jesus, in the exact opposite condition, succeeded. Right? So he comes out, victor Christ, and then he goes to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and they hand him the book of Isaiah, and he finds the portion of Isaiah, which for us is Isaiah 61, the first three or four verses, where it talks about the anointed one, the messianic figure who would come to produce and proclaim the gospel. He would set the captive free. He would give sight to the blind. He would proclaim uh, liberty to those who are oppressed, and he would proclaim good news to the poor. And Jesus said, that's what I'm about. This is my mission statement. This is what I'm here for, to declare the year of the Lord's favor, to declare the gospel, to declare the kingdom. Uh, And then uh, he began, we saw last week, alluding to the people in Nazareth that he was going to reach people that they had not envisioned him reaching, that he would go outside of even Israel, just like the prophets Elijah and Elisha had. And when the citizens in Nazareth heard that, they were very upset. They took Jesus to the outskirts of town in order to throw him off a cliff so that he would die. Uh, Jesus, we assume, miraculously walked through, passed through their midst. Uh, They could not touch him. It's not that Jesus was afraid to die. He came to die. It's that it wasn't the time for him to die. So he had things to do, he had things to accomplish, part of which was showing us what he meant when he said, from Isaiah 61, I came to do all of these different things. And that's part of what this passage we're going to read today is all about. How did Jesus interpret what he read there in the synagogue in Nazareth? So if you guys would follow along in your Bibles, we're going to read Luke uh, chapter 4, Verse 31 to the end of the chapter. And it says, And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of 
Galilee. This is, this is Jesus' new headquarters. And by the way, if you want to actually see the ruins of Capernaum, you could come on a tour of Israel with me next year. There, there are lots of cities in Israel that are still functioning as cities today from biblical times. Uh, but Capernaum is not one of them. Capernaum is just ruins. It's a state park. And you can actually go see the house uh, that we assume that Peter uh, owned, that his mother-in-law got healed in. We're going to read about that today and the events in this episode in the synagogue there. So he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus, verse 35, rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose in verse 38 and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law, and Simon is also, uh, we know him as Peter, she was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him, to Jesus, on her behalf. And, as, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, verse 40, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, verse 42, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. All right, that's our passage today. I'm going to take a sip of water. My speech language pathologist told me to write in my notes, drink water. So I have it right here, drink water. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what your word means and the authority that you have and the life-changing nature of you who you are, Jesus. And so we pray that our lives would be changed and transformed by your power, by your authority today. Help us to understand you, Lord, to a greater degree this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Okay, the reason I wanted to read that whole uh, passage to you in one pass-through is because it seems as if Luke put those three movements or those three stories together on purpose. And that's really what you have in this passage. You've got three specific movements. I mean, first, Jesus is there in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and uh, a demon-possessed man interrupts his message, 
and disrupts the whole uh, scene and Jesus casts out the demon. The second uh, movement or episode happens after that in the house of Peter. His mother-in-law is lying there sick with a fever and Jesus heals her and she's restored wholly and completely and begins to serve Jesus and his disciples uh, immediately after she's made well. And then finally, at the end of the day, after the sun goes down and uh, people are allowed to travel as far as they want to because on the Sabbath day they had a travel restriction. They weren't allowed to travel a certain distance. So once the travel restriction is lifted, at the end of the day, everybody gathers at the door of that home and uh, you've got people who are sick. Jesus is touching them all, healing them all. Uh, but then you also have plenty of people who are demon-possessed who are also there and Jesus casts out all the demons that are there and even silences the demons that are crying out and giving commentary about him. And the reason that it seems that all of these events go together is not just because they happen on the same day, but because of the way that Luke bookends these three events. At the, at the beginning of this episode and at the end of this episode, Luke has a little commentary on the preaching of Jesus. Uh, he says in verse 38, or excuse me, verse 31 and 32, that they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. As he's there teaching in the synagogue, everyone's shocked by the authority that he has. Jesus didn't quote lots of other people. Jesus quoted himself. And so they're shocked by the authority that he's preaching with. And then at the end, the next morning, Jesus gets up, goes out into the wilderness. Mark's gospel tells us he went there to pray. And he, in that desolate place, concludes in verse 42 and 44 that he had to go to other towns to preach the good news of the kingdom uh, because he says, preaching is my main purpose. That's, for the, that's the purpose for which I've come forth. Now, that might not strike you as incredibly important, but it's, it is incredibly helpful, actually, to understanding Jesus's mission. Because remember, we saw him last week roll out the scroll of Isaiah, and he gets into this passage. It talks about proclaiming good news to people who are poor, uh, setting oppressed people free from their oppression, uh, setting uh, people who are in captivity free from their captivity, giving sight to the blind. He says all of these things, and you kind of have to wonder, is he talking about people in the physical dimension? Or is he talking about people in the spiritual dimension? Or is he talking in some way about both? And by putting the preaching ministry of Jesus at the bookends of these three movements where Jesus is hands-on delivering people from demon possession and healing people, by putting his preaching ministry at the bookends and then even concluding it with Jesus saying, this is the real reason I'm here. I got to tell people about the kingdom of God. I got to communicate with people about the kingdom of God. It helps us understand that even though he was hands-on doing the work, ministering to people's physical issues, his main goal and objective was to communicate the good news of the gospel with his words. His preaching ministry was far more important. In, in, in a sense, you could say that all the miracles that he did were like a stage that he stood upon to pronounce the gospel of grace and the good news of the kingdom. So that, that's why it's really important because the church has to try to figure out what are we supposed to be about? So it's not that we're supposed to be about one or the other. We can be about both, but we got to get the order right. 
The preaching is important. The gospel is important. Then the outflow of the gospel, doing things like Jesus did in the passage or in the three movements that we read today. Can you guys nod your heads like, okay, we're with you, Nate. We're tracking with you right now. I'm getting some looks right now. All right, so, so, so I think the way to understand this passage is to uh, see these three movements as glimpses into the kingdom that Jesus came to declare. Okay? He said at the end, I came to declare the kingdom. I'm here to tell people the, the kingdom, about the kingdom of God. Now, the, the kingdom of God one day will be fully revealed. It's not fully revealed right now. One day it will be fully revealed. One day Jesus will sit on the throne. He'll rule forever and ever. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming. And in that day, all uh, spiritual forces of darkness and the demonic realm and the world system that is antithetical to the ways of God, all of that is going to be banished. Just like Jesus banished the demon from that synagogue, one day when Jesus' kingdom fully comes, all of it's going to be banished from his kingdom. And then also sickness and disease, infirmity, brokenness, cancer that, you know, that Jesus dealt with there in Peter's house. He's going to deal with it fully and completely when the kingdom of God fully and totally comes. But that's not to say that the kingdom hasn't also already come to some degree. It has. When, when you or me are, are transferred through belief in the gospel from death into life, how could we say the kingdom is only and exclusively future? Wouldn't we say we've, we've been given a new citizenship? We've been transferred. Christ's authoritative word has done something powerful to us. So I think that these three little episodes give us a glimpse into what Jesus' kingdom is about. So I want to talk about those three movements and, and just think about his kingdom today. So in the first episode, I think what we learn is that Jesus has the authority to set people free. Jesus has the authority to set people free. Uh, Jesus is there preaching in this first movement. And in verse 33, uh, there's a man in the, in the synagogue with what Luke calls an unclean demon. That might have meant that it made him do unclean things. Um, but right there in the middle of Jesus' sermon, the, the man cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So just imagine being there that day in the middle of that service. You might be wondering at that moment, like, where's the safety and security team? You know, like, are, these, are they going to pounce on this guy or not? This is awkward. I don't know what to do. Do I run for an exit? Like, how do I behave in this moment? Now, uh, at this point in Luke's gospel, uh, Luke has not yet talked about the demonic realm. He's talked about angels. Uh, the angel came to Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad. The angel came to Mary. The angels appeared to the shepherds in the field. Luke records all that. But this is the first time that he gets into the demonic realm. Now, there's a, a few theories out there as to who demons are, what their identity is. And I'm not going to give a demonology Bible study today. But I think the theory worth mentioning is that uh, the, the possibility that demons were angels who, with the ch a chief angel, had an, a, a one-time rebellion against God, who then became disembodied spirits because of God's judgment on them under Satan's leadership, himself also a fallen angel. 
Uh, Comparing scripture with scripture, it seems that some of these angels or these fallen angels, these demons, were free to roam. And during the time of Christ, it seems that that's exactly what they were doing. They were out there creating mayhem in Israel. One question, though, that we might have is why, you know, we, we open up the Gospels and we, it's like demons are everywhere, you know? So you're kind of wondering, like, what, what was happening in Israel at that time that stuff like this occurred? Even, even some of us as modern readers were tempted to think, oh, you know, uh, how sweet, but you just had people who were suffering some kind of mental illness and uh, Jesus and the disciples didn't understand that world yet, and so they were doing this kind of thing. Uh, look, look, Jesus seemed very clear that this was not a mental illness that he was dealing with, but he, that he was dealing with the demonic realm. So uh, I, 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 I believe Jesus, okay? There, there might have been, I'm sure there was plenty of mental illness going on around, maybe even combined with this in Israel at that time, uh, that they had much to learn about. However, uh, these were demons that were working in their midst. So why were they so frequent there in the Gospels? Well, first of all, the condition in Israel was not good spiritually. It had been a few centuries that they hadn't walked with God. It had been a long time since a prophet or a messenger had come into the land. And probably what was happening was they were experimenting with other things. And when you enter into that world, you begin opening yourself up to dark or mystical practices, and that can expose you to an undesirable world. Uh, also, it had been very clear in the Bible. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but, but uh, the devil has access to the Bible. <laughs> and it, it, God had made it very clear through his promises that a deliverer would come one day who would crush Satan under his feet. And that deliverer would be a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David. So the descendants of all those people were there in Israel at that time. All the signs seemed to be pointing to the time of the Messiah, that figure coming. So it makes sense that the enemy would coalesce their forces uh, in Israel at that time. Uh, third, uh, the presence and power of John and then Jesus. I think they also were stirring up the demonic world to prepare for resistance. Uh, One commentator said, the good news preached by Jesus signaled an attack on the forces of evil. A holy war was being launched, and the demons knew it. You see, the Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, verse 8. So it comes as no surprise when Jesus comes onto the scene uh, that he would be confronting this kind of activity fairly often. It's just a result of who he is, his being. Uh, But the thing I really want you to notice here is how Jesus drew on his own authority to deal with this situation. Uh, Look at what he says in verse 25. He just says, be silent and come out of him. You know, this is, I don't, I don't really like these kind of movies, but sometimes I'm forced to sit through a trailer or something like that. You know, one of these like exorcism movies, you know, kind of things. There's, there's none of that in Jesus. There's no incantation. There's no ceremony. There's no like, hold up, we got to light some candles, you know, or there's none of that. He just tells the demon, be silent, come out. It's again, highlighting the authority of Jesus, his person. And uh, everyone there, sees the man thrown down and come out, and in verse 36, they're amazed. And then they said in verse 36, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. 
Okay, looking back over that whole story, I think it's clear that the theme is authority. Who's in power? Jesus comes in, he's teaching with authority. The, the demon tries to regain the attention or the authority. Jesus has, has none of it, casts out the demon and, and declares his authority over the demonic realm. And uh, Jesus, with that authority, he set this man free because that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to set people free and he has the authority to do so. Like I said, he had quoted Isaiah 61 in the synagogue in Nazareth and said, I'm here to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And now we're watching him do it. He is taking an oppressed man and he is setting him free. And I think the thing that I want to say this morning, just quite simply, is that Jesus still has the authority to set people free. Can we confess that this morning? And we thank the Lord for that power and that ability that he has. Um, you know, when Jesus says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. When Jesus says you're not under condemnation, you're not under condemnation. When he says you're adopted by God, you're adopted by God. When, when he delivers you, when his gospel gets into your heart, you are free. Now, Jesus' authoritative word, we're constantly seeing it throughout the gospel narratives, how powerful it is. His authoritative word can calm the sea of Galilee. His authoritative word could bring a dead man like Lazarus out of the grave. His word could silence the religious elite. His word could strengthen the multitudes who were under that Roman and religious oppression. His word could enlighten children and confound scholars at the same time. His word could pronounce someone clean and set a demoniac free. So when you see all of that in the Gospels, and then you start reading the epistles, which are trying to expound what Jesus did, and you see things like Ephesians 2, verse 6, which tells us that we have been raised with Jesus and are seated with him in the heavenly places if we're a believer. We're to remember, if, if Jesus says that that's what has happened to me, if, if that's the word that Christ has spoken, then that, has, that is what has occurred. That, that's what's taken place in my life. So I think what this means then is that we should be a people who maybe for the first time today you need to believe in Jesus, but who then after that initial moment that we would be a people who daily are trying to connect to the authoritative word of Christ to set us free. Uh, John said it this way, or Jesus said it this way in John 15, which we talked about a couple of agape nights ago. He said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you unless you abide in me. The imagery is clear according to Jesus. He has the life source. And if we are connected to him, if we're abiding in him, if we're walking with him, if we're sitting and reading and thinking about his words, if we're, if we're spending time with him in, in prayer, if we're, if we're walking, living in him, then his life comes flowing into our lives, the vine to the branch and fruit, change, transformation begins coming out of our lives. But we've got to walk in this. 
Paul said it this way in Romans 6, verse 13 and 14. He said, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. What are we to do with these bodies of ours, these these members, these body parts? He says you're to present them all the time to God as those who have already been brought from death to life uh, so that you can become an instrument for righteousness. We're, we're, We're under grace. We need to present ourselves to him every single day. And when we do, he sets us free. I, I was just telling the agape night uh, this last week, just about an experience I had recently. I think it was a month or so ago. I was reading in Ephesians four, just in uh, my morning quiet time, and I read about uh, you know Paul says there, and I've probably read this a hundred times, but he says you know that let no corrupting word come out of your mouth, but only that which encourages or upbuilds and deposits grace to the hearer. And I just was meditating on that that verse, and I thought, you know, that's great. I don't know if any of you are a little bit of a smart aleck and you got like a quick quick wit or whatever. You know that can be a gift and a curse. (laughs) And I can relate to that. And uh, so I I read that verse, and I thought, you know what? I'm gonna put this on my daily prayer list. And I, I think I've been praying that every day for, I don't know, a month or so. And just committing to the Lord, Lord, today, no corrupting word coming out of my mouth. Even when there's challenging things or discouraging things, I want faith to be able to see to the other side. And what I say, I want it to be upbuilding. I want it to depart grace to the people who hear. I'm not going to, like Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress, get stuck in the slough of despond. And, uh, you know, I haven't been perfect, but... As you do that kind of thing, you just begin experiencing the power of God working in your life, and the Lord's been faithful. So he can set us free is the first thing I wanted to point out. Okay, the second episode that we look at, I think we learned that Jesus in this second movement has the authority to make people whole or to make people complete. Now, let me explain to you Oh, what I mean. First, first of all, what, what happened in the second movement? Well, in uh, verse 38, after he's done in the synagogue, uh, he goes to uh, Simon's house. Uh, and Simon is also known as Peter in the New Testament. And it, it, like I said, if you go to Israel, you're going to see it, it would take like 10 seconds to get there. It wasn't a big town. And so they just kind of go down the street. And I'm sure the disciples at this point are tripping. You know, it's like they're going to, they've they've gone to lunch after church a thousand times at this point in their lives, but they never had a church service like that one. And they're just thinking, you know, who is this that we're hanging out with? Who is this rabbi that we're spending time with, casting out demons and stuff like that? And they get to the house and they discover that that Peter's mother-in-law is there and she's lying on the bed with this really intense fever. She's sick. Now, a lot of people like to geek out on the fact that Peter had a mother-in-law uh, because, of course, the Roman Catholics say that Peter, think that Peter was the first pope and Roman Catholic clergy aren't allowed to be married. Well, Peter was definitely married, so it causes a little bit of trouble for people. Uh, Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, about how this woman, we don't really know a lot about her, but she actually became a partner with Peter in ministry. 
she, she was like a gospel asset to, to Peter. And uh, it was all about this new life that the Lord had given her husband. Uh, but that's not uh, Luke's focus. His focus is that when Jesus uh, saw that she was sick, he healed her. Um, uh, he stood, it says in verse 39, over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And, and then Luke, you have to remember, Luke is a doctor, so he's very interested in the way people recover from these things. Like you might have noticed for the demon-possessed man in the synagogue, he says, and the guy suffered no harm. Even though he was thrown down on the ground, was writhing around, after he, Jesus freed him, he suffered no harm. He, he found out, and here he discovers that her healing was complete. She's not like decimated, like, whoo, that was rough. Thanks for making me better, but I just need to hydrate now. I need to recover now. No, she's made so completely well that she's brought back to complete full health, and she just gets up and begins to serve Jesus and the disciples. So why am I saying this movement or this part of the story teaches us that Jesus can make people whole? I think the reason I'm saying that is because uh, she becomes well, and what does she immediately do with her healing? She just begins serving other people, and that, to me, is what whole, balanced, healthy people do. You see, if we're not careful, we can highlight the fact that Jesus sets us free in a very individualistic way. He set me free. It, it happened to me. Uh, but we're called out of something and into something, and we're, we're called to be people who serve and minister to others. Uh, Paul said it this way when he tried to build an argument for the gospel creating beautiful people in Galatians 5 and 6. Uh, he said that we should not use our freedom for the flesh, to indulge the flesh, but we should use our freedom to what? To love, to serve other people, Galatians 5, 13 to 15. And then he talked about what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in a person's life. And uh, when you look at the long list of what the Spirit produces in someone's life who's really walking with God every day of their lives, uh, you can't help but come to the conclusion that it's very others-oriented. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit, love, loving others, uh, joy, demonstrating joy to others, peace, being at peace with others, patience, being patient with others, gentle, being gentle with others, uh, faithful, being faithful to others, good, kind, self-controlled even for the benefit of others. I mean, it's, it's very easy to be completely by yourself and think that you're very spiritual, and spirit-filled, but the real test is what happens to you when you get around people. And uh, that's what happened to Peter's mother-in-law. She was touched by Jesus, she gets up, and she just becomes an others-oriented person. That's what Jesus does. He makes us whole. He makes us whole. In the book of Acts, uh, there's a, a, you know, the second half of the book of Acts is mostly Paul going to various locations, preaching the gospel, uh, and one of the cities that he goes to was a city called Philippi. And I love his encounters in Philippi because all the people that he reached with the gospel, they were all redeemed into a whole version of themselves. So like one of the first people he meets is this businesswoman named Lydia. She's successful. She's financially prosperous. 
She hears the gospel, she gets saved, and immediately the church starts meeting in her home because she's got a huge house so she can have a congregation gather together. She immediately begins using her business expertise for the benefit of the church. Uh, Another person that uh, Paul meets is a, is a, a, a girl who's enslaved. She's a young woman, enslaved, and her owners are using her to tell fortunes. She's seeing into the demonic realm, and they're using that for profit. And Paul sets her free, and uh, she becomes a, a more of a mouthpiece for the truth rather than unrighteousness. And then he gets thrown into jail for that, and uh, him and his buddy Silas, they're singing to God in the middle of the night. There's a great earthquake, and the bars of the, gate, the uh, prison open up, and the jailer is about to kill himself because he thinks all his prisoners have escaped, and so he'll suffer the death penalty. And Paul says, we're all here. We haven't harmed ourselves. Don't harm yourself. Paul leads him to Jesus. He, in turn, then leads his entire family to know Christ. And then I think that even Luke himself, because how did Paul get to Philippi? Well, he got to Philippi because he had a vision. He didn't know where to go and what to do, and he had a vision of a man from that region saying, come over here and help us. And lots of people think that that was actually a vision of Luke saying that because Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. And up to that point, it's like, Paul did this, Paul did that. And then once Paul goes to Philippi, it's, we did this, we did that. And so it's very probable that Dr. Luke, he hears the gospel and then his doctoral astute mind becomes the researcher that writes for us one of, the, one of the coolest gospels, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. That's what the Lord does. He touches our lives and he makes us whole, a whole version of ourselves. Now, sometimes people think that Jesus will only suppress them. You know, that, that, that Christianity is an is a oppressive or suppressive kind of religion. Uh, but it's not true. What Jesus really does is he makes us more human, more whole. Uh, in fact, I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's all about the Holy Spirit and how when you're a Christian, God gives you the Holy Spirit to help you. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, he said, there's a variety of gifts that we receive. So you have certain gifts that, that I don't have. I have gifts that you might not have. You know, we, we have, there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. He says there's varieties of service. So ministries, different outlets for those gifts in the body of Christ, but it's the same Lord, he says. And there are varieties of activities, lots of different ways to take the gifts in those different ministry contexts and to use those gifts. Have you ever noticed that in the body of Christ, that there's just a wide array of the types of people that, uh, that God uses and the way that God uses them? So that's the Lord. That's what he does. He can make us whole if we surrender our lives to him. Okay, let's look at the last episode real quickly. Just two verses. Uh, in, in the last episode, I think what we learn is that Jesus has the authority to help anyone. Jesus has the authority to help anyone. Uh, what it says is that um, when the sun was setting, so like I said earlier, they, the, the Sabbath travel restrictions were now lifted. They could travel as far as they wanted. 
Word got out about Jesus, so people just start coming to that home. And uh, it's a major time of healing and deliverance. It says, everyone who had any who were sick, in verse 40, with various diseases, they came. Jesus laid hands on all of them, and he healed them. And then Jesus dealt with more, verse 41, more people who had demons as well. And while he cast out the demons, the demons cried, you're the son of God. Uh, But Jesus, verse 41, rebuked them and wouldn't allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, this is the second time in this short little passage that Jesus silences the demons. And sometimes people wonder, like, why did Jesus do that? Well, just think about it. I think there's a lot of practical reasons why Jesus silenced the demons. First of all, kind of like the right message, but the wrong messenger kind of thing. You know, like uh, if if you want like an advanced team for the church, demons really aren't the best. So probably a little bit of that. Uh, Also, I think Jesus wanted to be known primarily for proclaiming the kingdom, not miracles. And that's kind of what they were highlighting. And uh, it also is clear that Jesus wanted to have the ability to travel freely. And there came a point where his popularity was so intense that he couldn't travel freely. So I think he's trying to delay that as long as he can. Uh, But then also think about what actually got Jesus killed. He was crucified because of his popularity. So uh, it was not yet time for him to die, so I think he's trying to delay that as long as he can. Uh, But that's not really the point of the episode. The point of the episode is that nothing Jesus encountered was too hard for Jesus to deal with. Every sick person, he helps them. Every demon-possessed person, he delivers them. There was no case that was too hard for Jesus, and that's Jesus. Uh, He can set you free, he can make you whole, and he can do that for you, and he can do that for anyone who comes to him. Uh, There's no case for Jesus that's too complicated. There's no desire that you have within or that someone has within that is too entrenched. There's no history that's too tarnished for Jesus. He can help anyone. He is, according to Paul in 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's our Lord. There's nobody that's beyond the scope of the glorious grace of God. He's the God who reached a rebellious Nineveh with a rebellious prophet named Jonah. He's the God who reached a self-righteous Pharisee traveling on a road to Damascus to persecute the church by knocking him down and speaking to his heart in Paul. He's the God who reached the Philippian jailer that I talked about through the very inmates that he was employed to guard. He's the God who reached the despised chief tax collector by calling him out of a tree. He's the God who reached the woman at the well by telling her everything that she'd ever done. He's the God who reaches Peter despite all his failures and hard-headedness. He's the God who on the day of Pentecost reached thousands that day in part through unknown languages that the people speaking them had not previously learned. He's a reaching God and there is no person that he cannot reach. There's no issue that he cannot handle. He has the authority to help anyone. As, As Jesus said to Nicodemus, In John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish 
but have eternal life. Think of that word, whoever. Isn't that a beautiful word, brothers and sisters, whoever? Now, I'm fairly certain on the way in today, if I were to ask you, you know, who can receive Jesus? Some of you might have said, John 3, 16, whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. But my, my encouragement to you today is to, to, there's this insidious thing that can happen to us where we get a really, we're like, yeah, whoever, but we like put an asterisk on that whoever. And we've got a little footnote down below, like, but the, here's this group of people that could never, you know, be reached. And here's these people with these things going on that could never be reached, you know, but that's not Jesus. There's no qualification. He's, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The door is wide open to any person to hear about, to believe in, and to trust in Jesus. He's been doing it for thousands of years, and I don't know how much longer we've got to go, uh, but he's gonna keep on doing it until the day that he returns to this earth. All right, so what should we do in response to this passage? Well, the first thing that I just want to say is, um, well, I'll say it like this. We have to uh, remember his message. Uh, Jesus was authoritative over demons and sickness. He fought hard, though, to make preaching his priority. Why did he make preaching his priority? Because he knows that you can't have the benefits of his kingdom can't have that power, you can't have that freedom, you can't have that wholeness uh, without first passing go. There's a, there's a thing that must occur before all that is unlocked in a human life, and it's belief, it's trust in the gospel message of Christ. Uh, Paul said it this way in Romans 10 verse 9, he said, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, in other words, you're, you're saying with your life, like, I'm turning from that old life. I'm turning from that life of sin. I'm, I'm walking away from it. You openly do that and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's a, there's a casting of your faith upon what he has done. Uh, Paul says, you will be saved. So I think one way we respond to a passage like this is to remember the words of Jesus, the message of the gospel. But another thing that I want to say is uh, also I think that we should join Jesus. I think that we should join Jesus. Uh, that's part of the reason that I initiated this study on the ministry of Christ. Uh, because there's a lot that vies for our attention and our focus in our modern lives and world. You know, we are, we're, we're easily distracted by technology, so we can lose our focus there. We're very busy people, too. I don't know if you've noticed that. It just feels like we are busier than we used to be. Have you ever had the experience where you had like some obligation, something that you were scheduled to do, and then right before it was about to happen, something happened and it got canceled, and it just feels so good? You know that feeling where you're like, what, what is going on? I have like three hours where I just I have nothing scheduled right now in this, in this moment. We're very busy people, so we can lose our focus on what Jesus is about. Uh, you know, there's plenty vying for our attention. We're, we're about to head into an election season right now. So stuff like that can capture our attention. So I just wanted to think about for a second, what is Jesus about? Uh, because as a church, we want to be an extension of Jesus and his mission. Uh, so 
We're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here we're learning a little bit in Jesus what his kingdom is about and what his priorities are. So let's be a people who say, Jesus, I want to join you in your work here on earth. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.